Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoctopocephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Inebriart Podcast Networks, and as always, we are brought to you tonight, this morning, and tomorrow by Deadly Grounds Coffee, coffee to die for. I am your host. My name is Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Van Sampson, a.k.a. Steve of the future, though nobody's called me that for good reason, because I just made it up. And with me, as most of the time, is my good buddy, my my cohort with all 8-bits, Mr. 8-Bit Alchemy. Why, thank you. And I must say that even though I sometimes inflict impending doom, I am terribly absorbent. Ter- you're like the death napkin in that way. That is I am true. like that death napkin that in that true. way. And uh, also like the death napkin, tonight is an episode of The Brig. Yeah, we've been doing a few of these this year, and you know what? We ain't stopping because it's just too dang fun. And like some of those other times, but especially tonight, we got an amazing, amazing guest. We are so incredibly excited. We are a huge fan of this man. You ready for the intro? Here we go, guys. All right, here we go. All right, so deep breath. All the way from the deepest reaches of outer space, past the cosmic rays and the 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 rings of Saturn and all the all the chrome stuff, comes a very special guest, a veteran actor whose career has spanned over sixty years in the industry. He's appeared on such, although he probably doesn't want to admit that. He's appeared on such television series as MASH, Barnaby Jones, Murder, She Wrote, the Buffy spinoff Angel, and so many more, as well as films like Donnie Brasco and, most important to this podcast, the various films of one Mr. Larry Blamire, including, but not limited to, The Lost Skeleton of Cadavera and Trail of the Screaming Forehead. This week in the brig, it's our favorite Marvin, Andrew Parks. Yay! Glad to be here, gentlemen. Oh, oh, boy. Wonderful to have you. Boy, are we glad. <laughs> we appreciate you coming down in the rocket and everything. Just like, you know, we weren't sure if you were going to, but the landing was quite nice. The controls, so. is, it, is it autopilot at this point? I mean, have Marvin's given up manual controls aeons ago? Basically, we've given up everything aeons ago, so we no longer know how anything works. That's it. Really worked. Um, and you Podcast, know, you are... which you've also given up aeons ago, but you're 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 humoring <laughs> us lesser life forms, it's which true. which we really appreciate as well. It's true. And um, you are downstairs in the basement uh, in the the dank dark place we call the brig. 
Um, and, you know, for that, we are a little bit sorry, but we did put some cranberoids out in a little dish. And uh, if you get bored during the interview at any time, I believe Frank Dietz left some plastic dinosaurs down there you can just play with. Uh, fair warning, though, they are getting a little moldy. The dinosaurs or the uh, food? Uh, I'm going to leave it up to you to find yes. out. Yes. Right. The answer is to that if or that question, yes. <laughs> so, um, wackiness aside, uh, you have been in the industry for some time. Uh, very impressive. Uh, you come from an acting family. You have a bit of a pedigree. Your mother was the wonderful Betty Garrett, who had quite the career spanning uh, from the late 40s all the way up to 2009 when she appeared alongside you in Dark and Stormy Night. And previous to that, she was all, I believe she was also in Trail of the Screaming Forehead. Um, she was 90 by Dark and Stormy Night, if I've done my math correct. Um, what was that like, getting to work with your mom like, like oh, that? And It was great. We worked together before a couple of times. We did a play together. Uh, and both my parents were great, but my dad died when I was 24. He was just 60. Oh. And my brother and I are hoping to have the genetic makeup of my mother. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but right. who, like, at 90, somebody said, and, and my mother was great. Um, my mother could use profane language, uh, but she was never coarse. It was, there was something very funny. There was something always uh, very sweet and someone <laughs> Had said something like that. Ninety-one. What? That's a great long life. Fuck you. <laughs> no, and, and not be aggressive about it. Just be like, yeah, no. You know, like a like a Betty White delivery or something. You know, like just straight. She, she was she was great and always very active. She had health problems, but you would never. You would never know it most of the time. And mm. she didn't, uh, you know, she didn't have any surgery. She had when she first came out to Hollywood. And you can see in her first movie, um, Big City, just slightly, her nose was just, it was a great nose. And they wanted her to shave it a little. So she did. So the all the other work. But that's the only work she never had anything. Uh, oh wow! You know, done as she, she was glad to grow older. You know, yeah, and uh, and, and she handled it well. And, and she, you know, so anyway, yeah, we worked together a lot. My dad and my mom and I got to do a record album together. Wow! They had a, a friend named Bud Freeman, not Bud Friedman. Uh, the okay. improv guy, but his name was Bud Freeman, and Bud was a comedy writer, and he wrote this comedy album, which, you know, in the 60s, they were very popular, and they would have thematic movies, and it was called Sex, School, and Like Other Pressures, and this <laughs> young man talked to, to, you know, about those uh about those things and his relationship with his folks. And we shot it once only live in front of, a, a, of an audience of people that knew us. And my dad played my dad and my mom played my mother. So we had a great time uh, nice. 
working on on that kind of stuff. And Columbia brought it, bought it, and there is still like an album I have that I can show people. But it was wow, it, it it was not a record. Uh, record breaking doesn't seem to be the right thing to do. Right. <laughs> but it, no, but it, that was a, great. a smash hit. Yeah. And then my mom. Yeah. Billboard 20. My mom got an offer to do, there was a, uh, a, a new young playwright and he had written a comedy uh, that they were going to do in uh, Santa Fe. And uh, they asked my mom and Dick Sargent uh, to do it. And they had. Oh, wow. They had their son who played that, and so I, I did that with them. And it was always great to uh, to work with her, and uh, she was a founding member of Theater West, of which I'm still a member, but I haven't been active in a long time. But that was a place that I joined when I was 18. So, you know, oh, wow. saw her work, and she was always a great person uh, to. Uh, um, she she was just a great person to talk about work with and and that right. was not yeah and, and to be like those, on the same page like that you know it's it's like yeah. you can really fully communicate fully relate you know you've yeah. been through a lot of the same kind of things so that made conversation about about work so much deeper than just like when i would talk to my mom about my job and she's like that's that's rough honey i have no idea really what yeah. you do <laughs> you know and it's she's, like i i get basically <laughs> You basically get cool story broed by your mom. It's really fun. Kinda, yeah. I know you're like, sorry, honey. You want some mac and cheese? And I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but for those who may not remember your mom's name, she was a regular on two. Well, on Laverne and Shirley, she was a regular for most of it. Uh, she, I found a really great clip of her on YouTube singing a song. I had never seen this clip before, but she's singing. Uh, There's plenty of gin, and it's just. <laughs> It's just her and a, a, I think it's a ukulele. Um, it's a small. Was she playing it? Yes. She, yes. Could, she could, I mean, she was not a ukulele virtuoso, but she could play the ukulele. And, and yeah. That we often actually sang together. Uh, oh, wow. So was she playing ukulele on the album? No, she wasn't. Because it, was, oh. it was a spoken word album. So. Spoken word. Yeah. I don't think there was anything. But she was also on All in the Family, and she had quite quite the career. So coming from this world, coming from this acting family, you know, you see it, you know, it's it's not the it's not an uncommon thing to see children of actors become actors, go into the industry and get the bug as well and all that stuff. So how was it for you? Did you um did you feel like it was this natural thing you wanted to do because you saw you know, your mom doing it and maybe there were other people around or did you fight it at first? How, how did you get into, into acting? Uh, I, to answer the question kind of first is that, yes, it seemed a natural slide. However, uh, I went to UCLA uh, for almost five years from which I never graduated finally, but I, I've been wanting to go back just to get my degree. So, but I, I went to UCLA and my total intention was to become a lawyer. And, oh, wow. And, you know, so many, the, the common, there is no pre-law like there is pre-med, but right. common thing for most uh, law students that I knew was either business or uh, uh 
political you know, affairs. But a, another very common one was philosophy. And I loved that because I, I love arguments. And, <laughs> and I wanted to do that. But what I, at the same time, I got some of my first jobs. I got a job when I was uh, 11. And that was the only thing that I did. But uh, I was still going to UCLA when room 222. Do you remember that at all? It's <clears throat> memory. I, I discovered it today. Yeah, it is. It was it was actually a lovely show. It was a half hour in a kind of sitcom uh, format, but it didn't have a, a laugh track. It was a it was a, a dramedy, <laughs> you know, and right. the thing was. Almost every week, they had the student with the problem, and that would and it it meant that you had, if it was your first job, you had a guest star role usually if they picked you because uh, and, and so I did I did three of them over the years, and I was eighteen and I, I played this kid who was wanting to. Uh, run for student body president. And then they rewrote another one later that season just to be my same character, taking the ugly girl to the prom was the... Oh, no. <laughs> but then six years later in their last season, when I was 27, I was still in high school and, uh, and I was a student who wanted uh, to uh, become a priest, and so he had a relationship with with uh, a, a lay nun who who was teaching at the school and stuff like that. But so I, I I did that kind of stuff. But what was very nice was that you could get a a big role. The thing was, though, at that that time there were no reels. If someone wanted to see something you did, yeah. you could get a video of it that was about this big. And if they had the, the proper thing that looked Wait. like uploading washing machine. Put <laughs> uh, junk, you know, fit that but giant tape in there. A lot of times if you could find an actual uh, print of the film, they could, you could do that. It wasn't until really the end of the seventies when, oh, all of a sudden I can make my own reel now and, and stuff like that. But it was, it was nice. And, uh, uh, so at that time I realized, oh, I didn't want to be a lawyer. I just wanted to play one on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted that. I, I actually played a lawyer twice, never got in, into the courtroom. I was always in the office, you know, something. Oh, so close. But I, I worked, uh, I got to be defendant, uh, Twice, once by uh, Sharon Glass, who had a wonderful show called The Trials of Rosie O'Neill. Oh, wow, yeah. And I was her, her uh, and then the other one, I was 20, I was 23, and they were worried that I was a little too young, but Jimmy Stewart had a show called Hawkins, and it was that era of the 90-minute show, like Columbo, like, uh, uh, all of, they were very popular and they weren't on every week, usually maybe once a month. They did them in rotation. And 
So Jimmy Stewart played Hawkins, who was a kind of a country lawyer, a little like the character he played in Anatomy of a Murder. But I was hired. Okay. I got to fucking work with Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, that's wow. huge. So first, it, would, it took place in New York, but we shot it in Los Angeles. And one thing was uh, my family had a, a, a boutique hotel, like the Pierre, if you know that, in, 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 in Manhattan. And uh, I was found near the dead body of a girl on the 14th floor, but which is actually the 13th floor because they didn't want to name that. And hence the title of the episode, Murder on the 13th Floor. Oh, but okay. they did all-star cast at that time. My mother was Teresa Wright, uh, Kurt Kasner, all of these, uh, Jeff Corey, all of these wonderful people. And, and Jimmy Stewart was representing me. And the first scene we had was in this park. And I was working with Jimmy Stewart. I was letter perfect. I, I did everything. Everything was fine and everything was good. And then I realized while I had been talking and, and saying the lines and, and, and doing the script perfectly, my brain was going, I'm sitting here with Jimmy Stewart. I'm sitting here with Jimmy Stewart. Sitting here. And I went home that day and I went, fuck you. you. I didn't think I did a good job that day because I was doing that. And I said, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm an actor. I'm going to be with him. And that's the thing. It was, he had a terrible cold through this. And so he was very careful. But it wasn't that we became buddies. He was one of the most respect if you were doing your job he was there with you he he was uh jeff corey wonderful actor um jimmy had this kind of cough but he would not cough during uh the other actor's scene and jeff corey said, finally said jimmy you can just cough and we'll go back but he was so conscious and then i watched him work and he said at one point uh, do, do you mind running lines of of this uh, of this scene? I mean, uh, th th we're we're doing a movie in in nine days, and and just all the lines of the courtroom stuff. <laughs> so he's doing. So would you mind coming to the dressing room and run lines with me? And I'm going. Well, no, I, you know, I'll be taking early lunch. No, it was like <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're like I'm clearing my day for this, Jimmy. <laughs> And the door was up. This is not at all improper. This was old school. When he got in into the dressing room, he took off his coat, which was, you know, the suit coat, and hung it up. Because when you're off camera, you don't want to fuck up the costumes. He did. Right. No. He took his pants off, but he was, he, <laughs> he had very modest boxers. And stuff like that, and down to the knees, boxers. You know, could like not do that one. today. Could <laughs> not do that today. He no. even uh, he had a piece on, and he he took that off because he was he was balding, and it was just it was fine. And can we run over this? And and we just went back and forth. And I was I was working with Jimmy Stewart, but I was working with a wonderful actor, and yeah. a yeah. knew what he was doing and had had done it, and. He, he was he was perfect. And then there were two days in the courtroom because it was very Perry Mason. Everybody who was a possible suspect was in the courtroom. 
at that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and I did it, you know, literally <laughs> courtroom confession, you know, so it was one, but he had this long speech to the, to the jury talking about stuff and it was letter perfect and he was great, but he Jeez. was also, you know, he was feeling shitty. And when that was done, all they had left to do was just abstractly punch in to everybody's face. So they had a place to cut to if they needed it. You know, there was no more dialogue, no more anything like that. And, and Jimmy said, does everybody mind if, if I go a little early? And everybody said, no, come on. We're not, because it's, <laughs> We're not having a scene and they may use it with him. <laughs> right. And he, he left and, and the crew loved him. Everybody said, good night, Jimmy. And he did this, if I can, I don't know. He was going off. And then he turned back and put his hand on my shoulder. See you tomorrow, kid. And then left. <laughs> that just like dissolved me. Oh, yeah. wow. And I wish so much I could go back and just do the whole thing over again because I would have been better. <laughs> you know, oh. it was, it, just to watch it. And it was just watching that kind of calm professionalism. He was so, uh, he was so with you. Yeah, he seems like he was so real, you know, like he's not he's not trying too hard to be Jimmy Stewart. He wasn't trying too hard to seem a certain way. He's like, I'm acting with you. You and I are acting and my process would be, you know, no different with anybody. It's like he like you're saying, he's very present. He's very in the moment. And that's like so cool. That's so real and hard hard to have when you're someone who's such a you know superstar. I think I think especially it's hard it's harder these days. You know, I think that uh, you know, you, you talk about the old, um, the classic, you know, workman actors and stuff who had respect for the the job, had respect for the audience, had respect for their fellow uh, employees, actors and crew members and all the stuff. And, you know, now, you know, I, you know, we have a friend who I won't name who, who works on movies and stuff. And some of his some of his stories are like, yeah, you know, okay, look, you know, you're just crew. You can't look at the, you can't look them in the face. Don't look at the, don't look at the stars in the face, that kind of a thing. And I just, yeah. I just think back to, you know, I'm such a fan of, of older stuff and I love fifties uh, and forties and fifties horror and sci-fi especially. And um, so for me, I, I, I always think of like the death of the, uh, of the truly, truly great actor who, would act their heart out even if they were in something that wasn't very good um that includes michael kane and jaws 3 that includes christopher lee and uh the howling 2 uh you know that kind of stuff like peter cushing you know these people yeah. who would like in absolutely every single thing it didn't matter yeah what it was they were they, they were hard out as good as they could possibly be and they treated everybody with respect because i think respect is is the word missing from the conversation here you know i remember christopher lee specifically saying that the reason that he always did that was because it, he would if if he even if he showed up to work and punched in and did the job because he hated being dracula after the first one he just hated yeah, it and he made like seven of them I'm sure yeah and uh 
Yeah, because he was such a book purist. So he's he's just like, oh, these are getting so dumb. And he just he just hated it. So but they would always guilt him back in. They're like, you know, Chris, look, look, we got the whole crew. They're ready to go. You're going to have all, you know, all these people are going to be out of a job if you don't come back as Dracula again. You know, so he said they guilted him back five times out of the seven. And uh, he said when he was there, you know, he could have easily just punched in, punched out, you know, done a terrible job. At least he would have been there for the crew. However, he would be disrespecting the audience. He's like, how yeah. can I possibly disrespect the people who are there to see the movie that I'm in? These are the most important people. I can't, I can't possibly turn in a bad, intentionally bad performance or start to not right. care or anything like that. And it really shows like you, you see him in a, absolutely anything. And I, I'm sure that's true for Jimmy Stewart and, you know, lots of, lots of classic actors. I, I think that uh, that's something that I love about those days. I mean, I, I think that about, about Karloff as well. I mean, I think Karloff was always great. I, he wasn't the best actor that ever lived, but he was always as good as he could be. And so even if it's a terrible Karloff movie, it's like, I mean, he's pretty he's good. He's so there. good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And, and it, it's so nice that uh, Christopher Lee went out with a great band with, with Lord of the Rings and other oh. things. And he, and, and was getting, you know, even because of the uh, Dracula stuff, even other things, he was he was he was getting respect, and he must have known that people just enjoyed him, and that is the thing mm -hmm. that is the most uh, gratifying. Yeah, right for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I, um, I think that's a it's an amazing quality to have, you know, to be able to kind of give it your all for the people that are fans of you and. Um, I mean, I don't know, Steve, I feel like that's sort of what we do, right? Like our podcast is not a massive podcast, but we're trying our best every episode to do the best show that we can do. And so we have, you know, Andy Parks on and that's what we're doing because we, we love doing it and God damn it. And love it. And even if there's only 30 of you out there, we're doing it, you know, for you. Right. So that that's like it's that sort of same mantra that like that I think is really important to keep alive with with everything in life, yeah. you know, certainly creative endeavors, certainly, because, yeah. you know, the point of a creative is to have an audience. So it, it is it is it is harder when you feel like your audience is too small or something. But if you do it for the craft and that's what that's what everybody always would say. Right. I mean, you. You've probably everybody's heard that, you know, you do it for the craft, you do it for the sake of of whatever the thing is, the art, the acting, the whatever it is. And I think that that is is certainly what I try to keep in mind. You know, I'm a writer, too, and I'm not exactly Stephen King. You know, you try to you know write, you know, do whatever it is, whatever you're creating and try to make just remind yourself that the audience is there and they and there are people that that love it. And uh and that's really great. But it's it's also really cool that you got to work with your hero and one of your heroes at the time and and actually not just meet him, but work with him. And that is an amazing that was an amazing story. That was really yeah. very, very cool story. Another person, though, of the same stripe is Angela Lansbury. I did two oh. episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Right. The thing that I really I mean, she was great. She was great to work with. She did. But she took a responsibility that not everybody does and not everybody needs to do, but somehow 
she recognized that not only was she the star of the show, that she was the actor, she was the hostess of the party. And she more, I, you know, it was like three years later that, that, uh, I mean, she might've, I mean, I think she remembered me or, or, and, and also because of my mom, uh, uh, she might have known I was, but it was, I saw her do this with everybody. Welcome back. Hello. The crew loved her. And then she was all business when, when she was working, but was so, um, was, was so open. And that was a thing I haven't had the opportunity of, uh, uh, you know, leading a show like that, but I, I, and it's not always necessary, but some people are shyer. Uh, some people, you know, are more, I don't know what, I'm just more, a little more passive, a little meeker in that regard. But the fact that she knew that she set the tone for the right. and she took that responsibility. And I, I, you know, I, I think that, I mean, I never talked to her about it, but I just, I'd never seen anybody else quite that good and at the same time didn't seem to take any time or any energy away from doing the work. It just made mm. uh, so so nice so that everybody was there. I have one story about her that I, I can tell if that. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the first one I did was in the first season, so the show hadn't been on yet, uh, but it was, uh, on a, we were supposed to be on a cruise to Hawaii, but it was shot on the Queen Mary, you know, and uh, the captain was Leslie Nielsen, you know, oh. they, and oh. all had the all-star, you know, uh, uh, casts and stuff like that. And I was a nice young man aboard the, uh, the, the ship who had a little interest in her uh, niece, who was played by Belinda Montgomery, who was the potential person in danger in this. And, you know, uh, I helped out. It, it was a nice part. I got good billing. But she asked very much like J Jimmy Stewart, do you mind if we run over these things? And she was the first person I ever saw had the, the printed small scripts, you know, which you get now. They'll, they'll give you that, you know, so they okay. can stick your sides in your pocket. But she had that. And I said, what a great idea. And, you know, uh, she wanted to run over something. I said, I can run over, you know, something else. And she said, no, I only run just before what we're going to do. And that was her way of just not yep. getting too confused. Not getting too in your head about it. So there was nobody there. And this was a walk and talk down the, 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 the deck of the ship. And uh, so we, we did that because that that's difficult, you know, sometimes. And so, you know, we talked. Now she had, I can't remember her line, so I'm going to go blah, blah. Uh, she had all of the private detective, you know, stuff, just all mm -hmm. of the, Was it on the Tuesday night that you first noticed the gun was in the thing? Or perhaps if you went back to the, you know, and I would say, yes. And, and then she would go, blah, 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 blah. No, not then. And then they take it and put it this way. No. Yes. Is that all you say? Yes. <laughs> and it, but again, it was my mom. 
It was COVID. <laughs> it was what it did. It was, well, fuck you. It was, <laughs> and I understand, I've heard, heard people say this about uh, uh, Julie Andrews, uh, just really profane and, and really, not, you, know, you know, could use language, but they were ladies. And, and it yeah. was, but I just, all of it, and that was another thing, because I'm here working with you and you have yeah. the knowledge that I'm there. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> oh, Is that all you say? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> fuck but you. It just, I, it was like, I, I treasured, I always wanted to run into her and, and tell her if she remembered that because it was really also just another important thing because when you go on, I mean, it's nice if you have a longer part on, a, on an episode then you have a couple of days to uh, to sort of get into the. But the hardest thing, particularly me, I stay up late at night. Is you know, if I have a job and it's a six o'clock call the next day, I go to bed early, but I don't go to sleep. And and it's you know, in a couple of days you get the rhythm, and sometimes a couple of days it's over. You know, so yep. Mm. Just as you're getting comfortable and feeling yeah. the rhythm, it's kind of it's done. But right. I just. Uh, Jimmy Stewart and Angela Lansbury. I yeah. No, I mean, those are legends. They're legends. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, amazing stories. You know, I used to Thank watch uh, a lot of Murder, She Wrote as a kid. It was just um, it was just a show that my parents would have on sometimes. And I was, you know, always happy to see it. I never got to see, like, any Columbo. And I, I sort of wish I did. I never got to see, like, certain shows that I were other detective shows of the day. Murder, She Wrote was the one that was always on. I feel like it was always on USA. Yeah, I feel like it was always on USA at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, it still is. Uh, yeah, it still, it still is. is. <laughs> yeah. Stuff um, that you thought was never going to be seen again. Yeah. I know now, now it seems like there's, you know, everything is at our fingertips, it seems. Um, of course, that's not true. There's a lot of things that were lost, even things from yeah. the 60s yeah. were, were lost. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, like I was shocked to learn actually the uh, the tangent. My cat's walking around behind me. They got in the room. I Hello, I'm not Kitty. super happy about it. Hi. <laughs> oh, she's trying to get. She wants me to pet her. She oh, wants me to pet her now. No. During the. <laughs> hold on a second. Willow, we have Andrew Parks on, honey. No, but we have Andrew Parks on. <laughs> Wait. No. She's asking a question. Yeah, yeah, she's got her hand up. She's like, I want yeah, to she's ask. Like, she's like, yeah, her, the question is, can you can you pet me? Can you pet? Stop um, everything. Just just my tangent is um I I don't even know if I can yeah. So lost lost things I can't believe are lost. Uh Peter Cushing, I mentioned earlier, he's just one of my favorites. He was um he was Sherlock Holmes for a little while there, and surviving is almost none of his Sherlock Holmes. Um yeah, there's there's a movie. You can, you, there's the Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Hound of the Baskervilles, which is great. Um, and other than that, there are a couple episodes. There's like, f- I think five surviving episodes of, of the, you know, 20, 30 he did for BBC f- in the sixties. Not like it's from the twenties. This isn't Lon Chaney stuff. This is like, why is that lost? It just is. It doesn't exist. Nobody well, it, has it. It didn't really, I mean, it, and if it was, it, it was British depending on they didn't keep film or yeah. if it was on if it was on tape they tape over things because right i've heard that. yeah yeah just and reuse the tape like, oh, no, we've we've done it nobody's gonna look at this again yeah 
And yeah. The, and go ahead. I was just going to say, you know what, you know what else is similar to that behind me on the wall, the, the framed pictures back there right here. A listening audience uh, can't tell. Yeah. But, but Andy can see that was more for Andy. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I, just narrating. The beast, the beast <laughs> 20,000, 20,000 or 2,000? <laughs> it is 20,000. On the other side of my my very large head, uh, some framed pictures, those are animation cells. And uh, they used to do that with animation cells. It, it just wasn't worth keeping. There was no reason to keep them. The studios would just, you know, get rid of the, the paint with uh, um, paint, thinner. paint thinner and just, yeah, just reuse the off. acetate. You know, just that's, well, it's good plastic. We can reuse it. And so it's it's amazing. So as like somebody who's like, into the history, into the collecting, like that kind of aspect of, of film and of animation. It's like, it's, it's just gut wrenching to know that that's true, but it's right. true. A friend of my, I mean, my best friend when I was like from like seven to 11 until we moved uh, was Jake Reese. And uh, his father had been a, actually a, a film director, but he had passed away when Jake was like one and their mother knew someone but anyway mm. they had a snow white cell with snow wow. White in it and stuff like and i remember looking i was fascinated because you you turned it around and you could see the order in which they painted things you yes know? you see yeah. the layering on the cell and it's like yeah, this yeah. is real but also yeah. it was just around and and it was cracking and stuff and i to this day i wonder what happened to it because that was like a it was a, a yeah Someone gave my mom a, oh, was the cat in Pinocchio Figaro? Figaro yes. Yeah. It's Figaro looking at a fish uh, in a goldfish bowl or something. I can't remember. Yes, yeah, yeah. We did have it. We, we can't find that. But we had that that someone did. But that wasn't as valuable as Pinocchio. Right, and, right. You know, and actually, was, Snow White, like that Snow White cell, you yeah. got to imagine was like a treasure, like a Disney yeah. treasure, and it was just being kind of, you know, miss miss. I mean, that's nineteen thirties, right? Isn't Snow White in the thirties? Thirty eight, I think. Thirty eight, yeah. That was their first. Um, uh, that that was their first feature length cartoon. Feature length, right? Yeah. Right. And Pinocchio was either number two or three. It was or number four. It was it was in the top five. Yes. Yeah. But that was maybe 43, 44, uh, because I think uh, Bambi was before. And okay. then did a couple of things like the, um, the three amigos. Uh, oh, three caballeros. Three caballeros. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Different movie. Uh, but uh that's around in that time. And, and what, there was Bambi, uh, Sleeping Beauty, Sleeping, Be Sleeping Beauty was yes. Cinderella. You saw, you saw that, uh, that more angular look, it was still beautiful animation, but, uh, it, it wasn't as soft and they didn't have the, uh, what I finally learned was the, uh, what, not a rotoscope. It was the, is it like where they layer the well, they did themselves? they did rotoscope for for yes, a lot it, of those old ones this this it was the layer allowed uh someone to walk by 
you know, a, a landscape. And it, yes, and there were more. Yes. Yeah, so it's like parallax scrolling. It's yeah. what we would say today. I don't know if that's the correct term for animation uh, back then for like, anal you know, you know, ink and paint sort of cell animation, but it's, it's a different amount of layers. And I know that they did that with Sleeping Beauty. That was like, there was a lot of strides that Sleeping Beauty made. And also the style uh, was a huge stride. It looked very, very different than what had come before. And it sort of made the, if you think of Sleeping Beauty's face and her eyes, um, it's really the modern look of Disney, whereas uh, Snow White and Cinderella are not, you know, so Little Mermaid still looks like Sleeping Beauty, yeah. and that came out in the late eighties, um, and and so on and so forth. But you know, I, I just, right. that that yeah. that technique is you know amazing, and it was one of the things that would always blow my mind with seeing like a Disney like an intro, you know, kind of establishing shot or whatever. Mm. You know, it's like you're you know you're <clears> looking at animation, but the camera is treating this like it's 3D space. Like it's like mm. we're actually going yes. into this forest and things are becoming mm -hmm. more visible as we get closer, you know, and it's it's really mind blowing to understand how they do that with with the layering of the different cells and right. the spacing of it to and allow the camera room to zoom into it and to not yeah, really have any loss in fidelity. Like the deep the deep layers still look just as clear. It's amazing. Right. And it's, yeah. it's the same thing that, you know, video games used to do too, you know, where when you realize that just moving further back layers are going to move less, they're going to move slower and they're going to move yeah. less. And if you have three layers and your foreground is moving the fastest and the middle layer is middle and then the back is barely moving at all, it does create this it illusion. It looks like you're, yeah, it, it is amazing. Like the world yeah. is kind of moving around you. You cool. see that also at that time, late 30s, early 40s, uh, there were like at least two or three big, and maybe 15, even 20 minute long, uh, color Popeye cartoons. When Popeye, okay. that, that like Popeye and Sinbad and they did that kind of stuff. There's a treasure that you realize was probably made out of real props, you know, that they 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 did uh, stuff with. I love those those if you ever get a chance to 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 see them, but the uh, Max Fleischer Popeyes. Yes. Those so I grew up in the eighties and those were still actually on TV a lot. And I think a lot of them were from the sixties that I was seeing. Cause I know there were older, there's like an older style. Yeah. And then uh, I think the older style, he had like the dark blue uniform and then he became, it was like, he yeah. was only wearing white. Yeah. He would always wear white. I think that was sixties. I, I always and, liked the older ones. It, they just, they had, there was more of a warmth to them. That, yeah. That was, that was a, uh, what, you know, I, something I talk about on the, the podcast a lot. Um, as a great love of mine is just adventure stories, adventure in general. And Popeye was was adventure. Yeah. Sleeping Beauty was adventure. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that that uh, you know, uh, it, it's not you know as opposed to a lot of cartoons are just sitcoms. They're just like yeah. right. It's basically a sitcom. But um, but so anyway, this is Andy. This is like a really sprawling conversation. I love it. This is fantastic yeah. stuff. I do I do want to swing things around. We're, we've been on for. Uh, Way almost an hour now so i want to make sure that we you cover... thought 12 minutes you'd be cashed 12 out minutes. likely oh. story sir <laughs> likely story <laughs> um so let's excuse me my wife's gonna say did you ever shut up <laughs> and what are you gonna tell her 
Are you going to say yes eventually? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, we <laughs> just wait. It, it you haven't shut up yet. Wait for it. Wait for it. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So let's let's get into the 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 way we know you from specifically is the 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 wacky films of Mr. Larry Blamire, who's yep. uh, of course a, a good friend of the show, and uh, we're just we're just huge fans of his and supporters of his overall. And you know, we were introduced um, with his first film. It was the first time. You know, we're in Massachusetts. We're in his old stomping ground here. And, you know, we're pretty close to Boston. Um. And it was fun hearing him talk about like the old days in you know the various towns he was mentioning and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, Lost Skeleton of Cadavera. This is his his first movie. I think it came out in two thousand one. I believe uh, it was uh, definitely it's it's definitely the one that I think people know the most. Um, this is this is a movie that I had heard about, and. Um, it was like one of the, you do one of those things where you have like friends come over, you do like a watch party, like, oh, let's get together. We're going to watch some, a couple movies or whatever. And we used, we used to always do this and we used to theme the movies. And I swear, I can't remember what movie we themed this with. All I know is that it was utterly unmemorable next to Skeleton. And right. that after we, we all watched, we watched the two, um, so many of us were just quoting skeleton instantly i mean it start you know it started with yeah it started with the easy stuff like you know you know that is how stupid you are i sleep i sleep you know you know the rower and like all this stuff and then like in subsequent watches we started getting good at like no we're we're doing aliens you know and we're doing the marvins and you and um you and lattice played by susan mcconnell crow you played crowbar you play crowbar the alien the the, the magnificent crowbar who's from the planet marva and is is not anywhere near as smart as he thinks he is <laughs> yeah, he thinks that's it, my favorite thing to play <laughs> um it's and smarter uh, than you are so i have to say like I, I, there was an i think it was one of the special features on the lost skeleton dvd the first dvd i think had this and um it was an interview where you said that what you really loved about this role was that it was like you were playing two two characters you were playing crowbar but really you were playing like a washed up cheese ball actor playing crowbar and treating it as if it was hamlet like it was the most important role that he had ever landed and so you were like playing that was your way into crowbar it was to think of it that way that, um, that was true. And I think that was, but it, it comes from, from Larry and, and the way he writes and everybody. I mean, he had history with Brian and Susan and of course, Jen and, and, uh, uh, didn't know anyway, that Bob it, DeVoe is from he, here. He did. He knew that. And I don't think he ever said this, but it was understood absolutely sincere and straight entirely yeah. whatever you say you know and 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 if you give it a little emotion that's because it, that's what belongs there you know and and it it was that because then it it allowed the other stuff you know i mean it was actually pretty much 
in the in 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 the right zone, and then the dinner was a slapstick kind of wonderful. He he knew exactly where to go, and we all we all be on the right, and 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 we all we really we really got along, and we were a great team, and different times uh di- different people had i i've seen not everything has been perfect but it was always perfect on set it mm. was just like you know we knew each other and we knew what to do and mm. and we we knew you know how to how to say it. we all just loved and some people have said oh how did you what did you guys do you know did you, did you improvise yeah. Did you did you do that? not a word okay so that's one of my questions actually <laughs> all larry it was all well okay brian howe calls me and goes what are you doing next week and i go i'm, I'm not doing anything i'm, I'm just <laughs> sitting here i was in my apartment in hollywood and he goes uh do you want to do a film and i i I said what? And he, then he explained it was his friend Larry Blinmeyer, and he had done this kind of stuff. And uh, another good friend of Brian's was going to do it was Sam Robards. But Sam, okay, and, and I've met Sam; he's a lovely guy. And, and I always do him at the moment uh, he has to decide whether he can do it. He was offered AI playing this Spielberg movie playing the father in the first, you know, part. And that's like, lost skeleton, Steven Spielberg. (laughs) 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 He was good friends of of Brian. And when we had the first screening at the, uh, uh, at the Egyptian, he came up and he goes, he said, I love the money. But I wish I'd done this. You know, so oh, oh, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. I, I'm not sure that was true, but it was a nice thing to say. It was a nice thing to say. Because the, uh, but yeah, no, <clears throat> that is, it is like there were, the only thing, and it was written by Larry, the only thing that really wasn't in the script is we had a cup, we had an outdoor cabin and an indoor cabin. Uh, that was supposed to be the same place. But when uh, Susan and I go up the stairs. Oh, it's my favorite scene. Yes. My favorite scene in the whole movie. And that was Larry said here. And he had written it the night before because we had just gone there, knock on the door or whatever, you know, Uh there was a plot plot, but he, he wanted that. And that was all his writing. (laughs) <laughs> I got, and I mean, it was Susan and I, we just knew and worked and she was perfect whenever she tried to slip. I mean, I was, oh my God. It's a series of small buildings leading up to the main one. <laughs> that, it was again, it's, it's, it's the straightness of saying something stupid as that. <laughs> and, and we just had the best time doing that. And my favorite line of mine and my favorite performance and the whole, and I can't remember the lines when we're waiting and, and we give our really stupid earthling names, which I can't oh, oh yeah. And, you know, they say, uh, you know, well, won't you come in? 
thank you. I was waiting for that. And I just yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know you barge in. It's like so the funniest thing. That, that was, my, again, all written down. But that was when I, you know, you watch your own stuff and you're always, you know, critical. Oh, I wish I could have done that or I did that. But, uh, and it doesn't really matter. I love what I did right there. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love yeah. that too. I, I'm yes. very happy to be a part of it. And, and you have to depend on other people such as yourself saying how much they love it. Yeah. You can always find things that you And the fear, the fear in your face in certain parts, because by and large, you have pretty wide eyes in this movie. Like you're kind of like, you know, childlike eyes taking in the world and then there are certain parts like when at the at the top of that staircase and you don't know what to do you don't know enough to knock on the door and they just come out and you just your eyes get they turn into just dinner plates yeah, just and and then and then you know paul is like hello and you're like hello and you're you're very curt you're just you're just so you're just so very curt. And would Hello. you like to come in? Yes, I would like that very much. Yeah. And you like barge on past him. I like literally that whole scene uh, ending with that is my favorite part. Yeah. You were you were Bamin and she was Turgasso. Those yeah. are the fake names. Yes. Which yeah. are right. and then in the second, the second skeleton, of course, my Bam favorite. Man. The uh I don't remember what Crowbar's second name, uh third name is, but uh Lattice's new name is Zamy Sawnewell. And she says it different every time, so you can't quite ever ca catch up. Every time you're like, every time she's slightly different, she's like, um, Zamy, Zamy, Saul Newell, Newell, Saul Newell, and you're like, I wish my wife had picked an easier Earth name, like. <laughs> um, and actually, I've said that I said this to Larry one of the times he was on that I think. <clears throat> It's not necessarily my favorite line in the first skeleton. I do think it is a perfect comedy line, period. I think it is one of the most perfect comedy lines of all time, easily. And that is just simply when you say, aliens, us? Is that one of your Earth jokes? Yes, I'm so glad you said that. That it's, is... It's line. It's perfect. It's so, it like, is, nails it's it. Like, it's like a story. It's a symphony in in eight words or whatever. I mean, it's right. it's just comedy perfection. And writing wise, and delivery, you're you're so you're so snotty. You're so full of like piss and vinegar. Right, like, like, like well, what? Us? So scoffy. Is that one of the immediately jokes? and immediately out out yourself? That immediate sentence. <laughs> yeah. like, so unbelievably appalled that you could accuse yeah. them and then instantly outs yourself. It's like, <laughs> right. well, I love, I love playing that kind of character. And the scientist in Trailer of the Screaming Forehead is a much nicer person, but he is yes. also not as smart as he thinks. Right. Yes. Oh, yes. Totally. 100%. And, yeah. and, totally. I mean, he, that was that was a whole symphony in, in puzzlement as as things are happening I, I i loved playing i loved playing that guy and oh philip philip um i think it was like philip langstrom or something oh god you know, something I like that i can't remember the name no, of no it was, no, it was latham. philip latham latham yeah yeah latham langstrom is the man bat from <laughs> batman sorry that's 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 kirk kirk langstrom um so yeah, we can we can move into to forehead. So I really wanted to. This is this is yeah. Larry has said to us that this is his favorite role of yours. This is your uh, your 
big role, I think, yeah. that I've seen. Um, Leading men. We watched it again. The two of us who watched it last night with uh, yep. Tim's wife was that was her first time seeing it. Yes, right? yes, it was. So I own the both versions because you know the the Blu-ray that he did the Kickstarter for was the director's cut, and um, that has both versions. So you know it's like the TV version. There's the director's cut, but they're both great. Uh, very different than Skeleton, and yet same kind of flavor it's like you know it's like a different flavor but the same like wheelhouse you know well, same kind of tone just larry knew what he was doing uh lost skeleton is an edward film yes uh, right 50s sci-fi mixed with some horror and then early uh forehead is a low budget studio film with uh in widescreen color, very much like uh, The Blob, which I didn't know was a color film and was in that kind of vivid color until I was much older because I'd only seen it on a black and white TV. But, huh. uh, you know, so, and, and that style, and then when he did Lost Skeleton Returns again, he said, uh, <laughs> Split the have, difference. They have a little more money <laughs> this time. And uh, and then uh, Dark and Stormy Night, he really went back and captured the late 30s <clears throat> studio B picture of, of being yeah. this right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about Forehead, but uh, Dark and Stormy Night is I so we watched Forehead. I came home and then watched Dark and Stormy last night. And, you know, th that. It's hard for me to like a movie more than the first one I see. Like yeah. Skeleton One right. is my favorite because it's the first one, and it's just the one for me. And I don't know, but Dark and Stormy is like my second favorite. It is that that's more my wheelhouse anyway. I mean, I love I, well Skeleton One is parodying all these sci-fi horror films of the forties, fifties, mainly fifties. Uh, I, I that's me too. I mean, that's big time me. Um, but. Oh man, I love I love old dark house movies. Like just love them. Yeah. And uh that that movie is truly unbelievably beautiful. Like it's I so just good. I just love the way Dark and Stormy looks. Every shot of that he truly like it's a beautifully shot film. And the fact that it's a parody, it's a comedy, it's like didn't matter like you know he was he was shooting it just as well as any movie he's parodying and i think that's what sort of makes his movies so great and makes me love them on the level that i do is because it's like an onion there are there are layers to this there there are different things i like about it is it funny yes is the cast charming and wonderful and do they have an incredible chemistry yes absolutely but yep. there's also this level of like pitch perfect parody this like you know it's 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 hard to get and i love parody i love mel brooks i grew up on mel brooks i've always loved and adored every everything mel brooks and then you know when leslie nielsen started doing <clears throat> naked gun and all this stuff and and the parodies became a pretty big thing but died like in the 90s you know, I think the scary movie series is sort of like the end of all that when the Wayans brothers were doing that in the early 2000s. And those were not, in my opinion, of the same quality. But like, so it's hard to find good parody these days. It really is truly hard to find. Um, 
And he, he just, he, with his movies, every single one was parodying something completely different. What I liken it to is Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al Yankovic can yeah, parody oh, oh. any genre, and uh, he can also write original songs, which is really what Larry's doing. He's writing original songs that sound like they were from either a certain era, a certain band, you know, a certain genre, whatever he can, you, you know, there are songs where it's like, oh, well, this is his Nine Inch Nails song. It's not actually a Nine Inch Nails song. He just wrote it as if it were one. Like he has that ability. He understands he can pull apart like what makes a Nine Inch Nails song a Nine Inch Nails song. And he just understands it. Larry just gets everything he just understands everything on these crazy levels it's just it's really crazy but uh you know he couldn't do it without you guys i mean you know the troupe is just I have to, uh, amazing a word for um our cinematographer jay rickard epstein okay yeah we, yes we did skeleton returns and dark and stormy in a pocket of about three months they were almost back to back Oh, wow. And we, Kevin Brown was our cinematographer in the first two films. Wonderful guy and, and wasn't able to. And uh, Jay Rickard, God, he must have been, he seemed older, but he must have been like 24. And he and his crew were just wonderful. And I saw when they were talking about, you know, because we got, it was all inside. It was all on soundstage and it was all, you know, it was all old fashioned filmmaking too, which was nice. But I remember um, just Larry and, and he talking about what they wanted and the references that they made and showing certain things. What about this? Because it was all digital, which, which doesn't necessarily have the quality of, of film, but they right. did, they, they, they did such a great job and and he's uh been working a lot a lot in the horror genre and and stuff i haven't seen him in a long time but great guy and a great crew and we were really lucky because he he knew how to do what larry wanted and i remember they were talking about you know how we shoot a scene with you know the reading of the will had everybody mm. in it but what larry and we didn't we didn't have a lot of time. I think that was right. three, that was 18 days, I think. Uh, but the reading of the will is 11 pages. It goes pretty fast, but everybody's there. And Larry finally, he was up one and he said, okay, and he made an announcement. We have to do this broken up. I trust everybody knows where they are because what he simply did was divide the space into four quarters and he would shoot everything in that quarter then everything in that quarter and it, and everybody was there off the screen you know but but three quarters of the time you weren't there but that allowed uh even though that was a lit scene much more subtlety in uh in the lighting because uh, we would shoot it all in, in one direction and then there'd be a break while they set up everything like that and we sh shot it and it was it was so clever but also to us we the minute he explained that we knew it and we were all right there all the time for anybody else and for it we didn't you know uh, we did our 
off stage just as big as, or small as as we would do it in 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 real life. But it it was things like that that Larry and and uh, Jay Jay Rickard, I guess I would call him. Uh, they they talked about stuff and they knew things and they had a a great crew and uh, you know it was it was it was that was fun and then my mom was in that too briefly right right she was yeah. so great yep wait who whose will is this oh my goodness I'm sorry <laughs> and she just just scurries off she go and she I'm was out. so happy because my mom loves gorillas so when Larry uh said <clears throat> have a well, burns <laughs> yeah just so she just had that she just loved being that kind of non-sequitur wandering in and out who is this woman why is she here and and uh you know, <laughs> yeah so that was that was that was really fun but oh yeah we got to talk about this with uh with frank frank deets um and the uh, the gorilla because he did the Beast Wishes documentary on Bob Burns, and um, <clears throat> and how that you know Dark and Stormy was you know Bob's swan song as Kogar the gorilla the role that he he played in the sixties and seventies and you know and then he played Tracy the gorilla on the Ghostbusters the original Ghostbusters show the reason that the eighties cartoon had the world had the words the real in front of Ghostbusters was because there was another cartoon another no another live action show that existed beforehand um that had used the term, used the name Ghostbusters. And so it's just interesting. But Bob Burns was Tracy the Gorilla in that. And it's just it's just so fun that there are all these, you know, uh, actors he sort of, Larry has sort of collected along the way as friends and gets to be in these movies. And like James Karen is so funny in that movie oh, gotcha. uh, from, you know, Return of the Living gotcha. Dead. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's so Return of the Living Dead to me. You know, I've seen that movie <laughs> a lot of times and, um, he's so funny in that movie. He's just so funny. He's he's another one who's playing somebody a lot dumber than he realizes. H.M. Like Winant is amazing. He's so I, good. I, I known him. He was uh, the group I belonged to. I was the youngest person that was led into the group at that time. And my mother was in the group. But uh, but she was out of town when I auditioned for Theater West. And uh, I just knew H.M. from there. I was, God, I was 18 and he was whatever. And uh, so I've always known him and and watched him. But uh, very much like uh, Leslie Nielsen, his his film work is very serious. You know, yeah. yep. wonderful Twilight Zone that he Oh, did. yeah. The, the, the Howling Man is, the Howling Man's like my favorite. But, so. you know, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful. But he did the exact absolutely straight and unbroken and focused and he was he was he was not dumber than he seemed <laughs> he was smarter in a different way than no <laughs> you know it was just i love what he did and he you know he fit right in he he just totally understood it uh, yep uh, I'm yeah. remembering. I'm remembering scenes now. I'm remembering scenes. That he, he's a the whole when he when he his big reveal in Dark and Stormy is that he you know he knows the identity of who the 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 Cavender Moore Strangler, this person who's going around strangling people to death. Only he doesn't really know anything about them other than their name. He was their like you know 
doctor psychiatrist or something and and the name of the patient was roca santa chow and he's the way he says it he's like roca santa chow he's got this like deep super you know, deep like so much voice. color in his voice he's like roca santa chow and they're like oh well you know is is roca what does roca look like and he's like you know i don't know and then they're like well is it a man or a woman he's like you know i don't know that either <laughs> I totally forgot that. That was it again. It was just that that's so good, so and, excellent. And <clears throat> imagine just how how in how quietly in control Larry is at all times. How listening to anybody's suggestions, just everything like that. Uh, but he knew what he wanted. He knew what he had to do. Every once in a while. If something went wrong or there was a problem, I could see Larry slightly peeved. <laughs> but that was it. Because he, it, I, I don't think he was playing it, but he understood once again, like I was talking about Jimmy Stewart, or he understood he was the captain of the ship and you don't want Captain Bly. <laughs> you mm. don't want, you know, you, 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 he set the mood and everybody. Right. And and everybody loved him because he's one of the funniest people. He knows some of the, he can he tell is. a joke uh, <clears throat> as as well as anybody I know. And uh, and, he, and the, th the brand of humor that he has mastered is so absurd. Singular, and yeah. It's so like, like I, in its own way, because <clears throat> absurdist has been done so much now that it's not even you know it's not even fair to just say like oh yeah it falls in the category of all the other kind of like off the wall zany oddball it's like it is it is very singularly larry's brand it is, it's very oddball. Larry, and yeah. it's, that's honestly amazing in and of itself that you mm -hmm. can you can have order in the chaos in some way that it's like oh yeah to the you know the untrained ear you know it's just like oh he's just making up stuff in a funny way like anybody else would it's like no you know no, no. there's there's, a, a, there's math very distinct path going on behind the scenes for, yeah. Al, for the jokes and the way that the timing lands yeah. and the the sure of yourself but 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 saying foolish things and like there's so many like or like qualities. the way he he specifically repeats words he has that that's like a common thing that he does he'll have characters say you know like the austin powers allow myself to introduce myself like that kind of a thing yeah. like he would yeah. say the word twice um and it's intentional because that sounds like bad writing it sounds stupid it's yes. objectively funny but and uh it's nice. it's stylistically the difference <clears throat> between lost skeleton and dark and stormy night is is not he doesn't do that in dark and stormy he just writes <laughs> it's always slightly ridiculous but it, it can be said seriously you oh a serious writer wrote this rather than some crazy person trying to write a script yeah, I I can totally see that, and I think that um, I would categorize the reason as being part of the perfect parody because Ed Wood was such a lousy writer, <clears throat> so he's writing things that that's not how people talk at all. Right, and I think there's a level to that in the skeleton movies that it's specifically like nobody would phrase that that way. Yes. that's just that's just ridiculous. But the the one for me and um. In Dark and Stormy, I have to give it to Brian Howe. Brian Howe and Faye Masterson in that movie just 
slay me utterly. And Brian Howe's like, and I've been told, <clears throat> you know, that this was his British voice that he did anyway. And that, that Larry made it into a character. So he had a, an excuse to do it. Yeah. And he's like this, you know, evil, you know, just evil British guy. Hello. You know, and he's so unbelievably funny. And I was watching the trailers on YouTube today of the various movies. And I think that this, I think the dark and stormy trailer is my favorite. It truly is incredibly good. Uh, he, he cut it so well. It's got all such good scenes that it, it, it almost looks like a scary movie. Like there are parts of that trailer where you're like, is this, is this yeah. sort of scary? It's like, you know, that, that, that great shot, you know, we're talking about the cinematography. She does it like three times. I think where Trish, Trish Geiger is running down the hall and she's going, always going to the kitchen to see the cook, to see Archie. And um, th every time that she does, they connect it. Every time she goes to the kitchen, they connect it with her walking worriedly, always checking behind her at all times. Like she keeps checking behind her. And then every time she gets more and more hurried and, and the final time she's running. And the, the running one makes it into the trailer. And and honestly, that I, I was aware of it last night. I'm like, this this shot, this shot that he keeps repeating is so excellent. And like it's lit so perfect. And it really just kind of looks scary. It's like it's like, you know, there are moments in Ed Wood that are effective too, like by accident, I'm sure. sure but like yeah. You know, like the scene of, you know, Vampira when she's in the graveyard and she's yeah. like, looks right at the camera, holds out her hands with the fingernails. And like, that's actually kind of effective. Like, whoops. How did you do that, Ed? Like, you know, whatever. But like, it's in there. It's in there. So I, I just sort of wonder if Larry allowed himself to be like, no, I'm going to be serious. This this, this shot's going to be legitimate. He just, I right. Don't I don't know that he even makes those. He just knows what it is that he wants to do. Yeah. And it's, it, it is, he has, he has a great ear for the absurd, but it's just, it, it, what's funny a lot of the times is it's just a tiny step over to another thing. And you go, yes. what, you know, and it, it, it's not, I, I'm, I'm very, you know, I mean, there's things, you know, again, as an actor, I go, Oh, I wish I'd done uh, one of the scenes, the, uh, thing about the poison pill that uh yes. we go back yeah. and, forth. and you're like ah oh, give him the poison <laughs> i had i had lost my voice and i was oh, able no. to do it but i had to go to uh, our editor's home and and i i dubbed all of my dialogue in that which oh, is wow. oh okay it's that funny but i think it comes out fine you know yeah and, you can, is that know. the have I the letter? No. Have you the letter? Yes, exactly. I mean, that was that was always our favorite thing when we have a table read. Goes on way too long. Yeah, exactly. On completely on purpose. Um, there's a science to that. There's a there's a it's a thing. Things like go on way too long. Mm. They stop being funny. It, you, as an audience, you're like, why is this still going on? This is stupid now. And then it becomes funny again. Funny, right? You got to get to that next, that third wave, you know. That Ooh. then the joke comes back around. And that is brave. That is, 
the risk. That is a, yeah, that is a brave thing to be able to do, especially it, when it works. We just, you know, it's really, we always just had fun. It, mm. was, it was fun to, to be in the room with other people and see what other people were doing. I loved uh, doing the uh, You Will Be Next thing, which was basically a straight kind of Abbott and Costello. Totally. You know, totally. Uh, it's who's on first. Absolutely. Yeah, and I got, you know, I, I got to be next to, to Jim Karen and we were all doing it. And I just went, this is that one <clears throat> sort of legitimately gone out of some movie like this, you know, because it, yeah. was, it was, it was just that silly, but it was, it was glorious to do. And that to me, uh, you know, thinking back, I, I feel like that was a single shot, right? That was one take. Yeah. 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 It's a pretty long shot. Yeah. And and went down and so much of the time I can I, I would imagine we might have done it twice but I don't remember that I remember we we were you know we we would run it we would rehearse it we would you know say something but um, God I should ask Larry he would probably me in my memory I don't remember a lot of uh, breaks or breakups you know mm. so I'm sure there are. Because uh, Trish Geiger uh, used to be our uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, she had the the camera, the behind the scenes stuff. Oh, uh, like the editor. Yeah, just you know, just she took lots of of uh, film <laughs> of, of various uh, uh, you know things, and that yeah, it was oh, funny. like documenting. She was yeah. a documentarian of the shoot. Yeah. There is a great, there is a great uh, little bunch of film that's on the DVD and the Blu-ray as well. It's really fun to watch of you guys clearly having a really good time. Really, really just, I just love it. It's just really great. And, uh, and there's just so many, so many funny moments that just kill me. And obviously we haven't even mentioned Alison Martin. She is just absolutely hilarious in that freaking movie as Mrs. Cup yeah. Cupboard. Oh my God. Oh my God. Just that awesome. So and I, I love how, I love how it's just a little detail. I don't know if, you know, I, I'm sure it's in the script, but I just kind of appreciated it. You know, Brian Howe's character doesn't really have any friends seemingly like, seems like nobody can stand him except for you, Lord Partfine. Yes. Uh, I'm just, I, I'm a house guest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the entire thing. <laughs> You get you get that like you know you guys have this you know old friendship or whatever and I just think it's really hilarious um, how so many times throughout the movie no matter what's going on if the two of you are in a scene like Brian could be freaking out like absolutely hysterically freaking out and he will work in a he'll look over at you and be able to be like hello Potfine like, hello <laughs> hello Potfine never too busy to spare hello. Yeah. Pot fine. Uh, he just always says hi to you. Like it's just so funny. Such a hilarious little quirk. Um, so <clears throat> to go back to uh forehead, because we gotta talk about the makeup. Yeah, I really yeah. want to talk about the makeup. So you had like massive prosthetic makeup. A huge prosthetic movie. on you. I mean, you so three three different stages of you transforming into a giant mutant yeah. human Screaming. forehead. Forehead. Or, or as, or as Allison Martin would say, human forehead, forehead, human forehead. Uh, I tell you, that was the most fun because 
there was a lot of my work that was shot in just a few days. Because again, if, if we were all on the same set, we had all of the lab stuff was, was shot there. And what they also wanted to do, because uh, it also involved the lab stuff, they wanted to do it in order. And at first they said they wanted to start with the big uh, forehead and go down to the naked face. And I said, let's, if it's possible, do it the other way because my skin would be fucked by the end of the day. You know, yeah. taking all that. So I could, you know, have nice makeup on. But this was the thing, the Chiodo brothers, just brilliant. And, but I got to, and it, some of it was at night, but they had perfect daylight lights. There was a parking lot in back. They had things chopped out. And when I finished this makeup, I would go out, lie down there. They would make sure that I was in exactly the right place. And then I would go and, and take this makeup off. And we, we did that. And I was so glad because I'm, it's it's a pain in the ass. To do <laughs> I got to imagine. I get to do the reverse well, werewolf. I get to do that thing. And I just, I still love, I, just, I, I always wanted to do that when I was a kid. And I got. Yeah, when you die. Oh. Yep. And there's that shot. It's it's so funny. It's such a long shot of you just when you finally scream and we finally get the literal interpretation of the title. And you're in you're in your final form and you're just screaming, running across this gigantic field. Ah. I mean, it's like it's like a minute long, and yeah. this is you <laughs> in the very, very far distance. You're just Book booking it. it, booking yeah. it. Screaming, yeah. and you had this Massive huge head. On. Like, how the sound, was that? The sound mix was perfect because there's nothing, and it just creeps up very slowly. Yeah. So yeah. it, it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> but I, since I was a kid, I loved to run, and I could do that. And I loved the because in the script, uh, it keeps coming back to, to uh, uh, he's running. I mean, th that was like in the script. There's a little. You know, thing. And so I knew that was happening and we were looking forward to it. And I did it. And that was one of the first times I felt a little older because I, that's a snap. I could run anywhere. And I did. But man, <laughs> was I wiped out at the end of <laughs> Sir, your head was under about 40 pounds of foam. I mean, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have 30 seconds? Yeah. Yes. At least. <laughs> because I imagine that that would have been so heavy. I mean, I can and only And if imagine. nothing else, like, you know, it's not like your skin can breathe under all that. Yeah. And so you're not part sweating. His actual skin is like the eyes. The eyes are. Right. The eyes and nose. And yeah. So the thought of just being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do immense physical exertion while also my head is literally swimming in 40 pounds of foam and makeup <laughs> and nothing breathable. Just and it's like... funny too, because you can tell how straight his back is for that run. And I, I sort of feel like he's compensate compensating for that. Yeah. The extra straight... weight, like trying to make sure it stays the straight backness of that run really is very Forrest Gump. Like it just reminds me of like, the, yeah, I got perfect <laughs> posture. 
and it's just <laughs> yeah. so uncomfortable. It's like nobody ever ran Pumping like the that. Arms. Yeah, right. Just like arm fully back, chest. Doctor Philip Latham, the proper posture runner. Yes. Um, but yes. Oh my God, he's and, got the forehead. Andy no is back. Andy is back, and he has something to share with us. What do you got to show the class today, Andy? Oh my god. I can't no way. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is the best thing that's ever happened. Yes. Wow. Look amazing. at that. So so that must be yeah. the mold that they made to make the prosthetic. Yeah. Well what they want to, right? And I and I was happy to do it and I was really glad I took like some Sudafets in my nose and stop up because literally it was not plaster, but it's that kind of blue stuff that your dentist uses sometimes. Oh but yeah. My, I this was the only part that was open, and uh, my my head was wrapped up in something. But then they just put it, and it was like forty five minutes. Wow. What I realized was how hot your head gets. Yeah, and, I bet. Yeah, we were just we were just talking as you were going to get that, and it's like you, you can't sweat, right? Your skin's yeah. not able to no sweat, not able all. to breathe. Well, this is the other thing. Uh, you can't hear. Very oh, well. right. Yes, we were thinking that too. How could you hear anything? But the thing is, I'm nearsighted, and usually, you know, I, I usually work without my. Uh, but I, contacts. I used to wear contacts, but sometimes under the light, and it was fine. I, I could work without them. But when I had the head on, <laughs> nowhere to. So every once in a while, if I really needed to see something, I would. <laughs> but um, our makeup guys were great. And great, yeah. Was is this is a helmet? That's, okay. That's a helmet like it, and this is a face mask. It was the first time we did it, it took a long time, but afterwards, uh, it was just putting the helmet on, putting that, and had to, to do a new face thing every day because that, mm -hmm. and get that out, and then, um, just doing the the proper you know makeup to <clears throat> around the seams. Yeah, we we got get rid of all the seams. We got down to around forty five minutes. Wow, you know, nice. To, to do it was yeah, and because again, it was it was less it was less complicated. But I just you know who I oh god, wonderful actor who did the first Hellboy, um, uh, Ron Perlman. Ron Ron Perlman, he. In that movie and in almost everything he did up to yeah, Beauty and the Beast, he was always of, wearing prosthetic. Mm -hmm. One of the great prosthetic actors, because particularly in Hellboy, the personality that he got through. Yeah. The, mm. I loved doing this because, again, I wanted, I loved doing the change. I loved being able to do one of these things. But basically, five days. Mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I just went, oh my. And with like Hellboy or anything like that, that takes like hours to put mm. on every day. And right. I just end to to project a personality uh, mm. through, through it all. Is it's I just I 
every time that's my new guide. Oh, he does a good job. Oh, he's not as yeah. Good. He's not right. as good. Looks more robotic. Looks more yeah. human. You know, I'm I'm telling how they're feeling based on yeah. their 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 facial expression. You know, yeah. it's not just talking. Yeah, speaking of Hellboy, Doug Jones. I mean, Doug Jones played Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies, but you know, I mean, he's been is like a, a full body suit actor in so many movies. He was the amphibian man in Shape of Water. Um, so many things, and it's he yeah, just Doug has Jones this. He just has this anatomy that is just you know bonkers he's so tall he's so skinny you know and you can just put you know not one ounce of fat on that man and you can just put latex everywhere and turn him into this full creature uh you know pan from pan's labyrinth and um lots of other creatures because he would always you know he's always like two or three different smaller characters too yeah. in the guillermo movies but wow just unbelievable and uh, actually in um with with jim beaver your buddy um, he, in uh, Crimson Peak. Crimson he Peak. was uh, in yes. Crimson Peak. He was uh, this incredible bathtub ghost, just this red yeah. skeletal woman. And uh, oh my God, just absolutely like mind blowing. Just I didn't know anything could look that good on camera. It's just it's just, it's like what is this? Is this CG? Like I like it, it. It looks ethereal. It doesn't quite look like anything specific. I can't decide what I'm looking at. It was unbelievable. It's just him in makeup. Unbelievable. I, I there, there is a Guillermo del Toro is someone I would love to work with. I, I just like him so much, and from what I've heard from Jim or anybody else, and just seeing him, a nice guy that just loves what he's doing. That's it. Enjoys yep. it. Yeah, and he's it, a he's a fanboy. He we got. I don't know who knew him at the time. It might have. I think Mike Schlesinger was involved a little. Mike, Mike saw this, saw Lost Skeleton at the Egyptian when they, they've always showed our films. I forget why the first uh, uh, person get, was there, but he went, not knowing what he was seeing. He loved it. And he was still working uh, in Sony Classics. And he, it took him a year to convince Sony to buy it. It was like, jeez. It, I I think the original it went up, but the original budget was forty thousand dollars, and they uh, and it was a, a sag it was a sag ultra low budget contract, which meant they didn't have to pay us, uh, but they did. They paid us a hundred dollars a day, and that was great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you were uh, doing nothing that week. Yeah, right. You had nothing not? going on, and uh, they. Um, there's a contract then that if anything happens to it, we get our cut. And when Sony finally bought it, uh, it, it wasn't our per diem. And some like Brian was there 10 or 11 days. I think it was 10 and a half days that we worked. He was there. I was there only seven days. Uh, and uh, I think Brian got more, but I got like $3,500. You know, when we Dang. finally did it. So that was, you know, uh, so so it was a, a legit SAG sanctioned uh, thing. But that was where Mike came in because he just got that done. And then he became a uh, producer, associate producer on all our other movies. Yeah. And speaking of Mike Schlesinger, mm -hmm. uh, you went on to work with him uh, recently. You you film something i know we have to be careful about what we say about 
projects that haven't been released yet. I, I think uh, I'm not promoting anything that is not even finished and we don't know where it's going to go. I'm, I can't do a commercial for it now, but it was just, I can talk about making. Okay. And Mike, okay. as you know, uh, there's another character. There's another wonderful person, but has this love of a certain kind of movie. His Biffle and Schuster shorts, I think, are brilliant. Uh, but we've we've heard of them. Tim uh, owns yeah, them. I, I I had picked it up because I really wanted to watch it, and I saw so many people affiliated with like yeah. you know the the Bantam Street crew and everything were in it, and I was really wanted to to check it out, but I just um, I haven't gotten a chance to sit down and watch you them. Were, the, the only thing, and it's there's nothing wrong with it. The only thing dangerous about it is, and there's uh, you know printed stuff at the beginning talking as if Bithel and Schuster really were. Uh, comedy team in the 30s and this is what they luckily we have found these things that's the way he sets it up and right. they are almost perfect recreations of that and as funny as a good three stooges movie mm. for me <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean but he did them perfectly and also, just a little with with Larry's uh, view of the world, a little heightened. <laughs> but oh God, and Nick Santa Maria, and oh shit, oh, my fucking brain. Other brilliant, the straight man, and it, it was like the Two Stooges. You know, there was mm -hmm. there was a Mo and a Curly, and there was no Larry in between. But they they used to do this. They were brilliant, and. Yeah. Knew how to do uh, that kind of stuff, but and, and I think it. He's gotten. I mean, DVDs. He's gotten uh, recognition with uh, certain people for what it is because it's a brilliant piece of work. Hmm. Whether or not it it will make money, a and uh, he had the same. The uh, Rock and Doris uh, try to write a movie. Uh, was basically going to be a Bifflin Schuster film, but uh, that didn't happen. And so he did two, two other things, but I don't know. He got all of these funny people, Jim Beaver, Allison Martin, uh, and then Stan Taffel. There was all, uh, Frank <clears throat> got Frank Dietz. He said that was a bucket list item. Yeah. He said <laughs> He got to check that off. He finally got to play a play a gorilla, a man in a gorilla suit, just like just like Bob Burns. And it was it was fun. I think we got what it it needed. I hope there's the right audience for it. I'm worried about myself because um, I was supposed to shoot on a Friday, and the Monday before that Friday was the day after we'd had the memorial service for my friend Dennis Redfield. And that was a big thing at, at Pacific Resident Theater. There was like 100 people. And, and, you know, I was wearing masks, but not. So on Monday, I thought, geez, I'm supposed to do this on Friday. I better check. Monday, I was negative. Tuesday morning, I woke up. I was completely positive. Oh, boy. And uh, I said, Mike, you should probably 
talk to Kevin Quinn, you know, who has been in, in two of our movies and, and, and in some of the Biffle Schuster shorts. I said, Kevin would do a great job. But he, he didn't want that. And the only thing I was doing Friday was a small scene with Jim. And he said, we can move that. And then my next work day was Tuesday. So there was a, a week and I kept looking at myself. And finally, I was clear. My uh, doctor gave me a prescription of Paxlovid. Well, what I found out later was kind of common. It's... Uh, Paxlovid rebound. I was totally negative in five days. Then four days later, I was positive again. Oh no. That I, my, wow. There was 13, there was 13 days, and I was eight at, I was gonna get paid for eight out of the 13, though I was probably only gonna work five. You know, there were just, there was mm -hmm. Five days, three days on hold, and that's they you know worked there because very tight budget and and everything, but it it worked out. Mike insisted, and I really called him. I said, Mike, you can't, don't don't screw yourself up. You know, thank you. It wasn't. It's 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 not a, an enormous part. It's one that other people could could cover. But what they did, my character. It's too hard to explain, but. <laughs> people are supposed to be alone in this place. By the end of the movie, there's 14 people here with various reasons, many of them nefarious. And uh, so it was one of the, when everybody is there, and there is one point where my character gets very nervous. I, I have to, is there any milk here? And I go out to the kitchen, which has a, that swinging door. And then I come back, and a couple of times I yell things out, but what they did, they were able to shoot an establishing shot because it has a second story up high with someone in my same costume <laughs> and, <here. laughs> and then had him walk out. And then the rest of this scene where I have interjections only, uh, I do from the kitchen. So when I came back, there was just this series of like about nine saying something going back and saying that we <laughs> different things. And so they were able to do that and the rest of the time. It was, it was, so I was glad to do it, but I, I never felt I was completely all there. Right, and, right. You, you know, just had to be separate because of, because of uh, the plague. Yeah. But Joe Regalbuto and Mary Lou Henner were the most yeah. people and, and they were, Everybody was on the, the, the same page and I hope I hope it works. It's there's just a couple of, when I enter, I'm one of the people who thinks I'm alone and I have a key to the thing. I enter and I hang up my coat and stuff like that. And there are two people back there, Mary Lou and Joe Regalbuto, and which I haven't noticed. And I notice it because she she starts going, Who is the tall, dark stranger there? Maverick is his name. Which I totally no, I just I don't know whether the references will be too obscure or whether just the silliness of it will will carry it through. Well, I think I think this this is just not a broad project, and I, I think that's awesome. I love that about it. I think everything I love is not broad. I, I this is to, to I want it to turn out, and I think it's going to be a cast screening in the first week of August. I, I want it to turn out. The way he wanted it. Yeah. Mm. It, I, 
think it's all his money, basically. Well, I mean, uh, hey, I know for a fact that the audience for this exists because Tim and I are both in it. So this is for sure up our alley, um, at least. (laughs) Probably not the only two. No, but we've, we've been excited uh, we've been excited about this since learning about the project initially and then you know we had we had Frank Dietz on and then uh, Frank you know basically what happened so people you know some some inside baseball for people out there is I I basically said to Frank like you know we're really excited about this movie you know afterwards uh, like truthfully is there anybody else uh, you know if you have anybody else from the cast that wants to talk about it we'd love to talk to them and he just goes, Oh well, I have my friend Andy Parks, and I'm like, and Andrew Andrew Parks, Andrew Parks from yeah, Andrew Parks. Skeleton. Okay, uh, yes, please, that would be good. So, um, <laughs> so what? That, that makes an actor feel good. Oh. So, <laughs> so one thing one thing has led to another for 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 various people this season, yeah. uh, which has been pretty fun. But so, um, but yeah, we're we're looking forward to it. Um, yeah, honestly, and, can't wait. Uh, and I, we, I really want to see Bifflin Schuster. Yeah, we got to get together and watch that soon. It's, yeah, that it, it's the unfortunately, I mean, Mike Peters, I was in basically the pilot one, and okay, we didn't have contracts, you know, done up. So when he did the the other, there was only five other. They had a different SAG contract. And he was worried about it. Uh, so I originally was, I was, there was a little theatrical release uh, that, you know, played in certain festivals and stuff, but mine wasn't in it. Luckily, I mean, for me, because I just like being in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a fan of myself. Okay. I they, just like things. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't worry. Of, they didn't worry about it. So that one is included in the, I think it's included as an extra or whatever. Oh, cool. But All right. Well, that's awesome. It was that's modeled great. after Franklin Pangborn, which I didn't do. I know Franklin Pangborn, but it, it wasn't around. I love him, but it's not a very good, uh, because what he will do in, uh, in the, in the credits is so-and-so Franklin Pangborn, uh, Alison Martin, so-and-so Margaret, uh, not Margaret Rutherford, uh, who was uh, Groucho's. Uh, uh, oh, I'm not sure. Yes. Anyway, uh, he would give uh, actual names in the in the in the credits at the end of of people, and then there was, were like actor credits. But mm-hmm. God, uh, Bob Forrester did one of them, and and uh, and uh, Kevin is in it. Uh, uh, Trish Geiger does one of the funniest things with them. It's a, it's a kitchen bit, trying to prepare a chicken with Nick Santa Maria. And it's, it's just classic uh, Stooges or Abbott and Costello kind of stuff, but done really well. So Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I, I think Trish is great. I think she was great she's in Dark so and Stormy. Yeah. And she's so, she's so cute in... Uh, in in forehead she's just such yeah, a sweetie yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. she's just the the typical you know badly written yeah. you know 50s right. 60s homemaker wife House who's wife. just who's just you know got just enough brain to do 
dishes and just about nothing else and it's just it's just like yeah well that that this is a pastiche yeah <laughs> this is making right. fun of how bad things were this is a mirror that's what parodies are um and uh i i just i dig her too i'd love to I'd love to get her on the show too um but yeah that it it's it all sounds sounds right up our alley very very yeah. fun stuff um so i know that we're kind of pushing uh two hours now uh 8-bit you wanted to talk about one yes, more project i, I yeah and yeah, yeah i can't i can't let you get out of, out of the brig until we at least have have had a small you know pit stop um to talk about tales from the pub um, um, and and your and your role as true Fidubin and and, uh, and it's just like it's it's such a great you know project and little series you know for those who haven't seen there's like 16 10 minute episodes and very much like a, a spoof of the Twilight Zone um, and you get to be you know the 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 kind of I don't know the celebrated role that these shows always had was there's always like the narrator, the guy who introduces the mm-hmm. set, you know, sets up the episode, and then and then kind of sees you off at the end. And uh, I don't know, I I I love these a lot, and I wanted to just touch on them and just kind of ask if there were you know any special memories or feelings that you had from doing doing that project. That was a, that was a great thing. Just one thing that nobody knows, unless they're slightly older than me even i am too young to really know this, but i remember it. it's not the the model is not so much the twilight zone though it's the same thing sure okay one, one step beyond beyond yeah with uh i forget his and john john newland john newland and the way oh the way we would fade in and out and the way was more that but uh, Rod and, and and also that no, that line that you would that's always really say. interesting okay the line, the line you would always say, the another step in the walk of the unknown. That was very much a slightly va- yeah. varied version of what he would say. It was very. God, I can't even. I can't remember the. You know what? That so the reason, the only reason that I know that because I'm not older than you. I don't know if you realize. So, the only reason I know that is because Netflix took the Twilight Zone off like two years ago. And that was like mm. my wife and I, that was one of our main comfort shows. Yeah. We would watch it all the time. I saw episodes five, six times. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I have it on, I have it on Blu-ray, but it's just convenient to watch it digitally. Uh, and they took it off. So I'm like, well, crap, like, what am I going to do now? Like, I don't know what to do with myself. So I found, I, I went down a rabbit hole of like other similar programs of the day and uh and i happened to find one step beyond with john newland and wow. who wrote and starred in every episode yeah. I, th- I think he wrote i think he wrote every episode yeah. um not as good of a show but it's definitely a lot of like uh urban legend sort of stuff and he just sets it up and he's like well could it be true i'll leave that up to you i don't know <laughs> and uh it's all on youtube that was one of my funny. favorite things to do because I love that I could watch my friends do that. And then I would do the off-camera introduction thing. And then yep. the, the little appearance at the end. Yeah, yeah. the appearance I, at the end I, is the I best. Had so much fun with those. Uh, and 
it was it was great because everybody I got to be in all of them. Even yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're the star. You're the star. Right. Absolutely. Got the star in the death napkin, but also like <laughs> yeah, that's true. There was. Let's see. Uh, uh, my character was credited to Truffin Newbin. And Truven Newman was credited to Andrew Parks, so it gets a little uh, <laughs> right, a little bit. <laughs> no, I loved it. Well, I tell you what, it was Dan Conroy, Ranger Brad, mm -hmm. great guy. Uh, now, I don't want to violate things because you know how the first rule of Fight Club is not to talk about Fight Club. Correct. I have heard that. Yes, I I, I don't do it though. That the uh, First rule of pub night is not to talk about pub night. <laughs> what happens at the pub stays at the pub. It's it that was a play he did under his house when he was uh, he was married to Trish. You know when they were. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Dan Conroy. Yeah, when they were still together, they were they were pretty much a team through the whole. Because uh, yeah, I saw Trish Gregor did a ton of the editing and stuff in that even. Yeah, and she did. I mean, she she's really good with stuff now uh she knows what what she's doing i have great respect for her and um but anyway we just decided to do it and i think what happened first was you know forehead was taken away from us uh the woman who put up the money was great she it was a million dollars and 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 she was supportive and everything like that there was a rough cut that she hadn't expected. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and she lived in, in Seattle and she brought the rough cut up to a bunch of her friends and, and said, this is where we are right now. And, you know, uh, it was not appreciated. So she took it away. It was recut, not, I mean, she didn't recut it, but with a, an editor, it was recut. And one of the main things that happened is Larry's rhythms were gone. The line that went on, the pause that went on too long, the laugh that lasted a little too long, some of the things that were still in uh, Lost, Lost Skeleton, but it, it, it just, it died. And she put music in where he had, had had no music intentionally. And finally, though, I mean, she had it. We did have a, uh, a premiere at the Egyptian again, which was great because that's the AFI thing that whoever was doing it liked us. And by that time, Mike was involved with it too. And he was very much into that kind of thing. It played well. It looked gorgeous on the big screen. Mm, had that kind of, that. but it was never, it was, it was, it was taken away. And so mm. what was nice is when we got the DVD, both versions are on. Yeah. And uh, and the director's cut just is is his. And did did you see um, uh, for your consideration? Oh well, yes, it's Christopher I, Guest is. I mean, the Christopher Guest movies are like god tier for me. I, wish, I love them. We wish we had the same, but we all have such admiration. They're more improvised than than. Uh -huh. We just love all of those people, and. Uh, do you remember the woman who was the backer in uh, For Your Consideration was played by Jennifer Coolidge? Jennifer Coolidge, right, yeah. 
she had a uh, young assistant that was always with her. Okay. When we saw that, and, and I've asked people, they said, no, that was our producer and that exactly the same, a, a, a little, uh, a little swelter and a little more glamorous looking, but I, I, when I saw that, I went, oh my God, it's a parody of our producer. <laughs> and so, you know, it did, it was out there and, you know, <laughs> but then she got divorced from her husband who was also, you know, part of the, partly involved and stuff like that. And so when we finally got the rights uh, to put a DVD, well, we, I call it, but when Larry finally got the rights to put a DVD out, they put both versions on it and her husband who had the control, you know, there, there's some money to be paid to him. He said, it's yours, just just do with it. Cause he, he agreed that it was there. So it's nice to have that. And it, it's, it's yeah. a perfect film in a lot of ways, but it's better on the director's cut because it's just, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's cool to get that full story from you. Uh, I, I had heard bits, but nothing super specific over the years. I knew that something had happened and it probably wasn't something that people are really that cool with. Uh, it's not, not a normal way that a director's cut comes about. Um, but right. it was a, uh, you know, it, that's very interesting. So they lit this, this backer, literally just took it upon herself to hire her own editor and undo all the auteurness of the thing. We were devastated by that. And, and I, Larry was so hurt and angry because we knew that on the other hand, she put up the money, the, the celebration of the first day of shooting. She was there all the time in a cheerleader kind of way. Mm -hmm. We should have known that she knew nothing about movie, movies, really, on right. level. And, and right. so I don't want to badmouth her too much, but she was a disaster for us. And it's nice to know that, that the film, at least in a, in a slightly different uh, way. Uh, yeah, now that all is said and done, I mean, it's, you know, as, as just a fan who had nothing to do with, you know, making the thing and, you know, I, I'm not personally burned by all that process as a fan it's it's actually kind of fun to have two versions of it um i right, vastly yeah. prefer right. the larry version there is something off about the other one uh, when i first saw it on tv and i know that this was frustrating to larry that when it was released on um on demand yeah. which is where a lot of us first saw it and it was the only place you could see it for a long time it wasn't on dvd for a long time um, I think it was the only one. It was like the one, the one you couldn't get. It was was forehead. That was like this mythical. Yeah. What is that thing? And uh, but we had seen it on like Comcast on demand. Like they had it, and it was the wrong version. And I remember him online talking about it and saying, you know, this is not. This is the only way you can see it. But he's not super happy about it. Like you could, you could tell he wasn't super happy about it um that was way back you know when this was just happening but um i remember seeing it and feeling like something was a little bit off and not being able to put my finger on it but it's what you said it's those intentional moments are where, where you know he's hanging he's letting the camera hang for a minute he's letting the actor 
in the you know letting their performance hang for a minute and go on a little bit too long that is all part of his language and it just needs to be there um because you can take like you know earlier when we were talking about something that goes on too long it stops being funny yep but then it eventually becomes funny again well guess what happens when you when you cut when it stops being funny yeah it's not funny it never yeah. has time to get funny again yeah. yeah right you need you need to understand need it all confidence. enough and yeah it's, it's, and I, yeah. the same rhythm of of editing throughout you know so it didn't have the the little things my favorite one though i, I have to see it again to see if i was totally right about this but there there's a scene very much reminiscent of uh Ryan's laughter in the cave and lost skeleton. There's a scene <laughs> where Allison goes kind of nuts and she just goes on laughing too long. And that's the thing. And in, in the other one, it, it I and what, know, what, what is this? What, what, in, in, I'm sorry, in, in, uh, in forehead, there's oh, forehead, yeah. a, la- a laughing scene <clears throat> which goes on a little too long and <clears throat> As I recall, in in the other, it was either cut completely or she just she just cut it out or cut it to, and it was like, no, that's the joke. Oh, and they right. Asked, right. This I understand, but it was so stupid in uh, this the kitchen scenes I do. Uh, you know, when my head get with gets, Trish, yeah, yeah with we, the, you have the paper yeah, up. Did yeah. All of that in one day, if you know, had to do do the various uh, makeups, but. Uh, some of the things he says about, you know, women or whatever, kind of very nicely and ca- casually, but, you know. Uh, so, so bad, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it cut those out. I sort of understand that, but it was stupid because mm. no one would think, I mean, it was a, it was a parody of those times. It's like what I was saying about Trish. Like her, you could easily say, "Oh my God, this is so yeah. cringy." Her uh, character is so stupid. Her character is so useless. It's like, yes, but it's because we're shining, we're putting up the mirror, and that's how all these decades worth of female yeah. characters were. And then you had the misogynistic idiot husband who's like oh silly wife oh silly. but i love but you you do turn it up back on yourself though because you're like or maybe she's she's the one who says something like you couldn't oh yeah something about like you couldn't butter toast without poke sticking the knife yeah. in your eye yes <laughs> and <yeah>. you're like <laughs> couldn't butter toast without putting it out your eye. <laughs> who are two of the best people at the end of the movie Allison and Trish, you know, because Dr. Latham, in a different way than Crowbar, he is a very sincere and thoughtful man, but he is dumb as certain things, you know, and and uh, yeah, I, I loved, I loved, I, I loved playing that kind of thing, and and that's the thing that saves it for me is that hey. I'm dead. They're alive, <laughs> and they've done heroic things, you know. So, yeah, no, it was a great, it was a great uh, send up of all the tragic, heroic falling on the sword deaths that we've seen in various movies over the years. And of yeah. course, it's it's so extra silly because you do it the way you do it, and you know, it's all, um, 
you, when you reach up because they've set up the sound sound hurts them it's bells yeah it's all bells and then you reach up it, well they're like they're like okay well what what's worse than just jingle bells well uh telephone so they do the, the pay phone it's like okay that escalated it but it didn't work okay what can we do to escalate it even further and then your hand reaches up and it's a fire alarm <laughs> you're about to pull the fire alarm but of course you're the biggest forehead of all so you are definitely dying to um truly ridiculous truly funny Boy, um, say it that way it sounds stupid <laughs> 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 love it let's this is, it's uh well you know uh larry has told us many many times that stupid is one of his favorite words and and it's not it's not a bad thing it's mm -hmm. stupid is a good thing it's uh when it's when it's so stupid <laughs> you just like it again <laughs> you just you just you go back around to like it um Andy, we've we've kept you for quite some time. Uh, I think thank I you. you. It was the way. Absolutely was. not. No way. We, this has been a no blast. way. This was this was just pure pure awesomeness. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we we are big fans. We are looking forward to Rock and Doris. Whatever happens with that, where we are, you know, the best of luck to the the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild and. And, uh, you know, hopefully things go your way. We're all as fans hoping it, that it does. Um, you know, we're another on another angle too. not, not only are we going to have nothing to watch in the coming years, but, um, you know, we're big fans of going to cons and meeting people. Yeah, um, nobody can book appearances for next year at no. this point. You're not allowed to do it. So yeah. we're I mean, going to good thing, but I only was at one con. Uh, when we were promoting the DVDs of uh, Lost Skeleton Returns Again and Dark and Stormy Night. And I had such a good time. Yeah. And, nice. And just, you know, people talk about how big it's gotten, but, you know, all of the, and how the movies have infiltrated it. But it was great. It was such a fantastic place to be. And, and it's important for so many people, not just the yeah. videos. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it puts the fans in in contact with the the creators, the people who are making the stuff that they love so much. And you know, it's funny. You know, there's so many different types of people who are guests at cons, different types of celebrities. I, I I've been to so many, and I've worked I've worked a lot as an author. And you know, you tend to see a couple groups of like either they are. It's, I'm not going to say any names. I want to, but it, it's either they're bitter that they've been reduced to this mm -hmm. or they are just so unbelievably grateful to, hey, they're getting paid to be here. Some some of them do very well um, and they get to meet people all day and they have, you know, a great time. There are nothing but happiness and smiles and stuff like that. Somebody, I will, I will drop one name that's on the positive side that that surprised the heck out of me. Um, I was so very happy. Uh, Tim and I both got to meet Ray Wise um, a few wow. years ago. Oh yeah, he was a treasure. Honestly, and like one of the nicest, he, best people. Yeah, and he was there with all Twin Peaks people. You know, it was him and Sherilyn Finn and various other people from Twin Peaks. But we're not fans of Twin Peaks. We're fans of Reaper. It was this short-lived show that was on uh, mid-2010s or something, maybe? Yeah. 2000, 
something. And he played the devil. And he is, Ray Wise is like absolutely amazing as the devil. And we both, you know, I was working it as an author and Tim came one of the days and we, uh, we wanted to meet him together. So I, I didn't go over to him before that. And we did. And, and Oh my God, like what? Unbelievable. Like th this man was so yeah. happy to talk to us about yeah. Reaper and about him and, playing the devil. And, and he was he, eating lunch. He was eating lunch. And we right. literally asked if it was okay. If we just said hi, we, we were, were well, when we like, noticed, we're like, Oh, so, so, like, so sorry. We'll we backed back away. Later. And he's like, and he's like, no, 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 it's fine. Come on, come on. And we're like, no, 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 no. And he's like, yeah, no, you're yes, eating lunch. That's so rude. Yeah. And so we just ended up chatting with him and talking about about Reaper and stuff. And yeah, he just lit up. He's like, I love literally. That it was an amazing experience. I want, I want it to come back. And it's like, man, what like su such a positive, great experience for both of us. And it was such like the that's the magic of a convention like that. Where, right. You know, you just exactly. have that moment, especially if it's something you can like, like you did with Jim Beaver, Steve, where you're like, you bring something to someone that's probably seen uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people and hopefully be like, this is going to be super memorable for me. I hope it's memorable for you. But if nothing else, at least positive. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that's yeah. definitely how that felt. Well, yeah, I, well, Andy, we hope you do more I, conventions. I, for, I, will come see that I understand his feeling because this has been great. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. And I'm, I'm glad you had a great time. You know, secretly, I haven't mentioned this ever uh, to anybody other than uh -oh. the host. But secret, my, my secret hope is that we can get together a cast reunion on the show and have a, 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 a skeleton cast reunion. That's, yeah. that's what I... You know, I, I know... I know everybody, I know the difficulties of that, but that would be great. That would be, it'd be so would, fun. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's kind of like secret hopes, uh, hopes and dreams. And maybe, uh, maybe we'll get that together for next, next year or something like that, if we can schedule it. But that I think would just be the coolest thing, but, um, oh, yeah. but yeah. So, uh, Awesome stuff, guys, out there in the listening audience. Um, you know, I know we're always talking about these little movies, and everybody's got their like their own personal little gems or whatever. But uh, man, if you're at the if you're still here, if you're still listening, and you haven't seen Lost Skeleton of Cadavera and Trail of the Screaming Forehead and Dark and Stormy Night and Lost Skeleton Returns again, just 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 go find them. They're so great. Yes. They're if yes. you like parody, uh, in any way, shape, or form, you just it's hard to do better. Um, it, it's really awesome stuff, and uh, and you and, can and, see all of Tales from the Pub on like I think they're all just available for streaming on YouTube. Uh, on YouTube, um, yeah. I mean, they're Tales all available the as extras that are also on the DVDs of the movies and stuff too. But um, you can certainly you know find Andy's work out there. Um, you know, and if you're unfamiliar please check it out I, you'll be glad you did i need to see i'm i seriously am going to look up your mr your, um i was going to say mystery science theater uh murder she wrote i want to see your murder she wrote episodes I, I like did, i got two of them one on the boat and then i, I did another one was i was a steward on an airplane i did okay. it, and is, that was that was a great cuz the entire cast which was david hemmings and and you know, uh, just so many really good people. Uh, as opposed to other things you do, you're all on the same set. It was the 747 set in the back lot of uh, uh, Universal. So you know, that was that was great. It's, so cool. 
it's not it's not to watch for me, but I think you'll like the way my hair looks. <laughs> <laughs> and I I also learned today that you were you were in Angel. You had two episodes of uh, the Buffy spinoff Angel. This was my favorite show in college and just after college. And I one hundred percent remember the episodes that you were in. Uh, it's when the, it was at the end of season two where they go to the character Lauren's home dimension, and it's like basically a renaissance fair world it's like basically how can we do a, a fantasy landscape on a tv budget um and it was the funnest thing it was so different for both shows neither show had done anything like that and uh i just i just think it's super funny and awesome that you were you were like an evil priest yes i was we were a, a cult uh but the, the thing david greenwald who was one of the producers i had, oh yes i had known for years he, he was uh, high school friends with Jeff Bridges and had been Jeff's stand-in for a long time. But then David became a big producer and uh, I had just lost an agent and uh, I loved Buff Buffy and I loved Angel. And, you know, I just called uh, David and I said, you know, I love this show and stuff like that. Just if there's anything you think oh, about. Oh, wow, yeah. And, uh, he had me go in for something I didn't get, and then he had me go in again for for that. And it was just very nice of him because I usually don't ask that kind of stuff. Right. But that was that was great, and it was. But it contained my favorite joke because he's <laughs> in this other dimension, and all of a sudden he can exist in in the in the daylight. Oh, Angel, yes. Yeah, and he's up. There's a mirror. And all of a sudden, he does this. <laughs> Why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like messing with his his forehead. Is there's a lot of forehead jokes for Angel yeah. over the years. Yeah, <laughs> Boreana's just has a he has a big one. You know, he would have fit he would have fit perfectly in Trail of Screaming yeah. Forehead. I mean, like really, he he would have. Um, but uh, I'm going to wrap things up and get us on out of here. So thanks again, Andy. Thank you so much. It was a really you know, good time. I had a great time. And I'm uh, a fan of the show now. Not just well, because of me, because I actually heard a complete one before I was with you. And I went, hey, they're good. They're pretty That's see? awesome. Andrew Parks, uh, Crowbar says we're pretty good. And he knows he knows podcasts because they gave them up aeons ago on <laughs> the planet Marva. Um, Guys, uh, thank you for listening to this uh, awesome episode of The Brig. Andy will let you out right now. You can uh, go climb back in your rocket ship and get on home. Tell, tell your wife you, you shut up eventually. Yes. <laughs> so when she asks, you'll be like, yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did shut up. As well as being part of the Inebriard Podcast Network's Retro Redoctopus is a full-fledged member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So... Guys, if you get a chance, please check out our sister shows like Generation Playlist with Justin Cooper, The Weekly Warpipe with Russ Lyman and Jay the NAS Addict, and Let's Not with Michelle and Sam. For more information or to subscribe to us or any of these amazing shows, please visit thedorkening.com. I know Andy Parks is going to do it. And be sure to check out our killer sponsors, Deadly Grounds Coffee, Coffee to Die For. I have been your spacefaring host. I gave up closing statements aeons ago though so i'll just get awkward <laughs> good night <laughs>
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.